Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Transformation Radio. And now it's time for our reading in the New Testament. And our narrative today comes from the book of Luke, chapter 21, verses 1 through 28. Here's a brief commentary on what we're going to be reading about today. But Jesus was in the area of the temple called the Court of Women. In this area were seven boxes in which worshipers could deposit their temple tax and six boxes for free will offerings, like the one this woman gave. Now, this widow that we'll read about in Scripture here today was not only poor, but had few resources for making money. Her small gift was a sacrifice, but she gave it willingly. In contrast to the way most of us handle our money, this widow gave all she had to live on. When we consider ourselves generous in giving a small percentage of our income to the Lord, well, we resemble those who gave, quote, a tiny part of their surplus, end quote. Now here, Jesus admired the woman's generous and sacrificial giving. Now, as believers, we should consider increasing our giving, whether money, time, or talents, to a point beyond mere convenience or comfort. Now, the temple the disciples were admiring was not Solomon's temple. That had been destroyed by the Babylonians early in the 6th century B.C. This temple had been built by Ezra after the return from exile later in the 6th century B.C., desecrated by the Seleucids in the 2nd century B.C., reconstructed by the Maccabees soon afterward, and enormously expanded by Herod the Great over about a 46-year period. It was a beautiful, imposing structure with a significant history, but Jesus said that it would be completely destroyed. And, of course, this happened in A.D. 70 when the Roman army burned Jerusalem. Now, Jesus did not leave his disciples unprepared for the difficult years ahead. He warned them about false messiahs, natural disasters, and persecutions. However, he assured the disciples that he would be with them to protect them and make his kingdom known through them. Well, in the end, Jesus promised that he would return in power and glory to save them. Jesus' warnings and promises to his disciples also apply to us as we look forward to his return. We'll also read about persecutions today. These persecutions soon began. Luke recorded many of them in the book of Acts. Paul wrote from prison that he suffered gladly because it helped him know Christ better and to do Christ's work for the church. The early church thrived despite intense persecution. The picture of the coming persecutions and natural disasters is quite gloomy, but ultimately it is a cause not for worry, but for great joy. As believers see these events happening, they'll know that the return of their Messiah is near, and they can look forward to His reign of justice and peace. Rather than being terrified by what's happening in our world, we should confidently await Christ's return to bring justice and restoration to His people. And with that, let's begin our reading today here in the New Testament. April 22nd, the New Testament. Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 28. While Jesus was in the temple, He watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. Some of the disciples began talking about the majestic stonework of the temple and the memorial decorations on the wall, but Jesus said, The time is coming when all these things will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Teacher, they asked, when will all this happen? 
What sign will show us that these things are about to take place? He replied, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah, and saying, The time has come, but don't believe them. And when you hear of wars and insurrections, don't panic. Yes, these things must take place first, but the end won't follow immediately. Then he added, Nation will go to war against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and there will be famines and plagues in many lands, and there will be terrifying things and great miraculous signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, there will be a time of great persecution. You will be dragged into synagogues and prisons, and you will stand trial before kings and governors because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. So don't worry in advance about how to answer the charges against you, for I will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply or refute you. Even those closest to you, your parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, will betray you. They will even kill some of you, and everyone will hate you because you are my followers. But not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will win your souls. And when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know that the time of its destruction has arrived. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills, those in Jerusalem must get out, and those out in the country should not return to the city. For those will be days of God's vengeance, and the prophetic words of the Scriptures will be fulfilled. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days! For there will be disaster in the land and great anger against this people. They will be killed by the sword or sent away as captives to all the nations of the world. And Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the period of the Gentiles comes to an end. And there will be strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And here on earth the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth, for the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. So when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up, for your salvation is near. Psalm 89, verses 38 through 52. Have you ever felt like God was against you? Well, this psalm is for you. The psalmist writes here about God being angry and God renouncing the covenant. He even says that he's broken down walls that are protecting the king and ruined every fort defending him. And he complains about being robbed even by his neighbors. And he's also complaining about being publicly disgraced. And then he asks him, how long is this going to last, Lord? Have you ever felt that way? You're in a dilemma of sorts and things were coming down around you, and you were wondering how long you were going to be in that desert or in that predicament or in that situation, waiting patiently, hopefully, for the Lord to deliver you. Well, this psalm talks about all that, because the psalmist here is casting doubt on the love of God. Ever feel like God doesn't love you, may love the other guy, but doesn't love you? Well, this psalm talks about that. And the psalmist here appeals to the Lord to look upon his servants and see how they're disgraced. But then he ends up by praising God forever. Psalm 89, verses 38 through 52. But now you have rejected him and cast him off. 
You were angry with your anointed king. You have renounced your covenant with him. You have thrown his crown in the dust. You have broken down the walls protecting him and ruined every fort defending him. Everyone who comes along has robbed him, and he has become a joke to his neighbors. You have strengthened his enemies and made them all rejoice. You have made his sword useless and refused to help him in battle. You have ended his splendor and overturned his throne. You have made him old before his time and publicly disgraced him. Interlude O Lord, how long will this go on? Will you hide yourself forever? How long will your anger burn like fire? Remember how short my life is, how empty and futile this human existence. No one can live forever. All will die. No one can escape the power of the grave. Interlude Lord, where is your unfailing love? You promised it to David with a faithful pledge. Consider, Lord, how your servants are disgraced. I carry in my heart the insults of so many people. Your enemies have mocked me, O Lord. They mock your anointed king wherever he goes. Praise the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Proverbs chapter 13, verses 20 through 23. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Trouble chases sinners, while blessings reward the righteous. Good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. A poor person's farm may produce much food, but injustice sweeps it all away. Hey, this is Zach Pruitt here with Transformation Radio. The following is Pastor Wes Thompson of Veritas West Community Church speaking on the 2020 vision of the refuge and giving a follow-up of the Mercy and Community Development class that the second and third phase men attended on Wednesday nights the last few weeks. Enjoy. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a minute or two, well probably more than that, but just to share a little bit about the uh, a recap of the Mercy class that the Phase 2 and Phase 3 guys have been going through for the past few weeks in Columbus, in the Hilltop neighborhood, just really talking about what community development looks like. Before I jump into that, though, um, I just wanted to share a little bit of, of maybe sharing some vision as to what I think God's doing and, and where we're headed. As some of you might have heard, we've really felt called to what's been called the 2020 Vision, um, really centering around the Hilltop and Franklinton neighborhoods in Columbus. And so what that looks like is we see, um, we're praying that God would call 20 men to own 20 homes by the year 2020. And uh, the really uh, the idea there is that as God begins to change men's lives in the refuge, we just believe that He's going to call some men out of that to not only to leave, but to then be used to change the neighborhoods, be used to, to help change other people, to share their testimonies, to see God move in other people's lives. And I think... I think we can romanticize that and it becomes this clean, fun thing. And and I think it will be a good thing, but I think there's going to be challenges in that. And so I'm praying for you. I'm praying for each of you that God would lead some of you to to want to stick around. I'm sitting here with Zach Pruitt. I mean, he's, he's doing an internship right now and seeing other guys like him that are just doing whatever they can to serve. And so you don't have to be a, a extraordinarily special person. Um, none of us are. It's just it's just being yourself and asking God how, how you can serve and how you can engage. And so the church that some of you guys might have been to or will visit at Veritas West, I mean, we've been in the hilltop for about four months. 
And a big reason that we even relocated from Grove City to the hilltop was because of the 2020 vision. It was because we want to be involved in a neighborhood that has obvious needs. And so that's why we decided to even do the Mercy and Community Development class because a lot of the feedback that I've gotten from guys in the refuge and people in, even in the church is, where do we start? What does that look like? How do we engage in a neighborhood? And so the first week we were even looking at what, is it, what does it mean to be poor? What does it mean to be in poverty? And one thing that we learned was that really we're all in some sense in poverty because poverty is um, a poverty in relationship with God in relationship with ourselves, in relationship with others, in relationship with creation. And so when it comes to God, we know that without Christ, we're all in poverty. We're all, there's all, there's a separation between us and God. When it comes to poverty with self, um, we all experience that when it comes to depression or anxiety or fear or doubt. Um, when it comes to poverty in relationships with other people, I mean, we see that in just infighting and gossip and slander and uh, the results of divorce and, and things like that. When it comes to poverty with creation, um, that looks like you know material poverty, um, systematic breakdown when it comes to education, when it comes to racial tension, when it comes to just social injustice at, in a wide scale. And so when we put poverty in those kind of multi-dimensions, we realize that we are all affected, we are all in need, and so it's not an us versus them. It's not like some people are poor and some people aren't. We are all in need of God's grace. And so we as Christians can then ask the Lord to heal us, but then also care for other people as God has cared for us. And so the second thing we looked at, the second week, we were just talking about mercy and really caring for those that are in need. And we saw that that we shouldn't, care for others out of guilt or out of duty or just desiring some warm, fuzzy feeling or having the Savior mentality. Some of you guys might be confused by that, but the big idea there is we have to first understand that we can't fix anyone, that we aren't going to, through our being amazing people, being able to convince people that they need Jesus. We love and we serve because Jesus has loved and served us, and we trust that God will change people and that God will ultimately um, restore people. And so even as I was just talking to Zach about some of the discouragements of ministry, um, even just seeing maybe things not pan out the way you want them to, um, if, if we think that we can change people, that'll lead us to despair, that'll lead us to quit. But if we understand that when we're serving other people, we're doing it unto God, we're not doing it for a slap on the back or for... Um, realizing that we are going to change people, if we realize that we are just doing all of this in worship to God, then it then it will allow us to be sustained. It will allow us to be in it for the long haul. It would lead us to actually care about um, poor neighborhoods and people that are in need. And so that's the only kind of motivation that's good in gospel-centered mercy work, is to realize that we are in need of a Savior, and we're pointing other people to the Savior. And we're going to do our best to address their needs. But then again, it also leads to the last big idea, which was community development. And for some of you that were there, you might have heard this, but we have to realize that some needs in our neighborhood are chronic, and some of them are crisis. Now, what does that mean? Well, a crisis problem requires an emergency intervention. So a crisis is... Our house burnt down and we don't have anywhere to go. 
but a chronic problem requires development. Now, if somebody, uh, one of the examples that Amy, who was teaching the class, brought up was a, a man approached her about, you know, needing a pair of shoes. Now, should we not give somebody a pair of shoes if they need them? Well, that, you know, if the Lord leads us, sure, we can give somebody a pair of shoes. But the idea there is that it's a chronic problem, meaning, well, depending on, you know, what this man's doing, he's going to need another pair of shoes in a month or two months or three months. And so we, we should focus on development. When people are in need and it's chronic, then how we approach that is, how can I help this person? How can I come alongside this person that they can provide for themselves a pair of shoes? Or they can, they can begin to take care of themselves? Because if we intervene in a way that's not helpful, we'll end up enabling people instead of actually empowering them to use the gifts that God's given them as image bearers of Christ. And so really, I think as we approach um, mercy and community development, we need to realize that the Lord has called us to care for the poor. The Lord has called us to care for those in need. And even for those of you that are in the refuge, just be reminded that um, you might feel good right now. You might be sober. You might feel like good things are happening. You might be thinking about your future. But I want you to remember where you've been recently and the people that have showed you mercy and the people that have showed you grace. And I would just encourage you to pray and ask God how you can extend that same mercy to others. How you can extend that same grace to others. Because if there wasn't people that were able and willing to serve you, you'd still be in your muck. You'd still be in your addiction. And I just want to encourage you, whatever it may look like and whatever it may be, to extend mercy and grace and love to others. Because that's what Jesus did. And we do all this in worship of Jesus. And so if we truly are changed, if God truly has um, and is sanctifying us, making us more like Christ, we will extend mercy to others. And so I just want to encourage you, in closing, my prayer for you is, is that you would love Christ more, and as a result of that love for Christ, you would love others. And so be blessed. Um, I'm excited to meet those of you that I haven't met yet. If you come to Veritas West, introduce yourself. Know that um, I want to get to know you. I want, I'm praying for you, even if I don't know you personally. And um, I just believe that if you pursue the Lord, that He's got good plans for you, that He's got good for you. And uh, just be encouraged that um, in your healing, in your restoration, that, uh, that we're all for you and God's for you. And I just want to encourage you. And so be blessed. It's just part of life
Here's today's In Touch devotion. Today's scripture reading begins in verse 1 of Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Deepening our relationship with God through discovering His character and His will for our lives is achieved in several ways. Each one, while familiar, represents an important discipline in pursuing the Lord. Meditation is an excellent way to build our relationship with God. It involves reading a Bible passage several times with the express purpose of hearing from the Lord. Then, as we keep up diligent, sustained concentration, the Holy Spirit will communicate to us through the verses. Studying the Scriptures allows us to draw from many passages to gain a broader, deeper understanding of God's character, plans, and promises. We benefit by asking ourselves questions such as, What does this study reveal about His nature? Is there a divine promise to remember, a command to obey, an example to follow? Another key spiritual discipline, prayer, must undergird our meditation and study. Encountering God requires both a listening ear and receptive heart. Recognizing how God operates in our lives and in others will help us desire to pursue Him. For instance, Dr. Stanley says, My granddad told me how the Lord had worked in his life, and his testimony created in me a deep, abiding hunger to seek after God. I wanted the Lord to work in my life the way He had worked in my grandfather's. We are seeking God when, number one, we spend time discovering who He is and what pleases Him, two, our day is not complete without fellowship with Him, and three, we find ourselves trusting Him more and leaving behind ungodly habits.
Amy Lee Van, who's an HR director from Troy, Ohio, said, John, on a minute with Maxwell, could you talk about the word complacent? I sure can. I think complacent, again, is an attitude. I think when we become satisfied with who we are and where we are and what we're doing, and we just basically say this and no more, I think it's not because we don't have potential to grow and develop and expand. I think it's because we chose to stop expanding. Now, what happens when we become complacent? I can tell you exactly what happens. That's the day we start to die. We really do. Now, it may not affect us physically for a while, but I know this. People who have no goals, no far horizons to strive for, nothing to get up in the morning and and do something that is of significance and value to themselves or others, people that become complacent, they first die inwardly. This is the worst kind of death. The worst kind of cancer is not one that eats the body. The worst kind of cancer is complacency where a person basically says, I'm done. You and I know people, don't we? Do we not know people? They're already dead. They just haven't made it official yet. Complacency will do that to you. Trust in you, 
Thanks for listening. Make sure to tune in tomorrow for the next edition of Transformation Radio.